0: here we are. We read the passage here together, uh, John chapter 21, the first 19 verses, and I've entitled the message today, Jesus and those who falter. So, you know, as as we've been doing this series, I've been anticipating this teaching, and I knew it would be the final one that we do, but I've been anticipating it um, mainly because I think that it is Something that is so incredibly relevant to so many, because uh, we all fail at times, we all falter, and I think the tendency when we do that is to think that God's finished with us, or you know, we become disqualified, and you know, that's that's the end of it. Uh, but what we see in this story here with Jesus and Peter, we see something different. And so, <clears throat> I'm really speaking today. To anyone uh, who, as a Christian, has stumbled and fallen, and you know, maybe, maybe you've you've thought as a result of that that not only did you let the Lord down, but maybe you feel like you know you you have just utterly failed Him, and because of your failure, uh, you've perhaps just felt you know you you felt ashamed at your failure, and you've thought you know I. I it's even hard to think about praying. It's even hard to think about like moving ahead in following Christ because of of the shame that's attached to your failure. Um, you know, you, you feel like God, of course, just, you know, probably wouldn't want you uh, any longer in the sense of, you know, serving him because after all, You know, you you really let him down. So, you know, if you happen to feel like that, this is what I want you to know, you are not alone. Many have been in that place, including the illustrious Apostle Peter. Peter was there. That was his experience. And of course, this story is told to us uh, you know, for many reasons, for sure. Of course, it happened. That's one of the main reasons why it's told. But, but it's put here in God's word, I believe, to give us hope, to give hope to those who fail, to show us what Jesus thinks about those who falter, to show us how he treats and receives back and restores even those who fail. But for us to, to fully appreciate all that happens in the account that we read together, we need to back up a little bit into the history. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, there, John records it for us in the 14th chapter of this gospel, Jesus was speaking to his disciples there in that upper room, and he, he told them that he was going to go away. And, and Simon Peter said to Jesus, he said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And that is exactly what ended up happening Peter says, Lord, what do you mean I can't? I'll I'll follow you anywhere. Uh, You know, basically Peter's saying, Lord, you know, I'm your most loyal follower. Jesus says, really? Well, tonight you're actually going to deny me. Now, as we look at the story, it was true. Before the the rooster crowed, uh, Peter did do that very thing. And after the final denial, after Peter swore with an oath. I do not know this man. No, I I don't. I'm not one of his disciples. After Peter did that, Luke tells us that he and Jesus locked eyes. And so the very last thing, the very last experience that Peter has with Jesus is that of having just denied him and having seen Jesus, looking into his eyes. And then Jesus was led away to be crucified. And it says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Man, and we can understand that, right? Can you imagine what the anguish that Peter must have felt at that moment? And, and the confusion and everything that he would have been experiencing at that moment. Now, we pick up the story here in verse 15. And as we pick up the story, what we are going to see is we're going to see ultimately the restoration and the recommissioning of Peter. So the first thing we see is Jesus speaking to Peter, then we see Peter responding back to Jesus, and then we see from the whole exchange how the Lord deals with those who falter, with those who fail. So that's how we're gonna look at it. So look in verse 15, it says, so when they had eaten breakfast, so remember the setting, they're on the the shore of the Sea of Galilee and, Jesus has, you know, they were out fishing and, you know, now Jesus has uh, prepared a fire and breakfast for them. And so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, remember, we've been told that this is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. So there's been two previous uh, appearances of Jesus and Peter was undoubtedly there for both but you know, it was one of those, like the elephant in the room kind of situations in those previous two appearances, because Peter knew what had happened. I'm sure the others knew what had happened. And so this is the big question. You know, what is Peter standing? What, what about him now? So there's two previous appearances, but Jesus doesn't address it. He did, apparently doesn't say anything to Peter. But now it's here at this point that Jesus is going to do that very thing. And I'm sure, you know, you put yourself in, in the position of Peter for a minute. You know, you you know, your, your last real contact with Jesus was looking into his eyes, having just sworn you didn't know him. And now here they are and nothing, you know, nothing's happened yet. But, but I'm sure Peter is just, he's like waiting, you know, as we sometimes say, he's waiting for the shoe to drop. Okay. You know, I wonder when it's going to happen. I wonder when the Lord's going to tell me, uh, Peter adios, you know, we're done. So here's the moment and what happens. So Jesus, he, looks at him, and he says this, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? If you remember, there's another place where Jesus used this very same, uh, he, he spoke about Simon in the exact same way, Simon, son of Jonah. When was it? It was at Peter's greatest moment It was when Jesus was with his disciples in the place called Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them the question. He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're Elijah. Uh, And then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And remember, it was Peter who spoke up and said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you. I am absolutely certain that Jesus is speaking to him. Now, of course, in the gospels, uh, Simon, that was his name. Jesus changed his name to Peter. Sometimes he's called Simon, sometimes he's called Peter, but only on these two occasions is he called Simon, son of Jonah. And so undoubtedly, Jesus is, from the very moment, he's, I think he's instilling hope in Peter. Because Peter, when he heard Simon, son of Jonah, his mind would flash back to that moment, that greatest moment in his own experience when God spoke to him and Jesus acknowledged, God has spoken to you. So we see that the already in the beginning, as he's beginning to uh, address this situation now that has not been addressed that he extends this gracious reminder to him. And he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And the these, I think is clearly the other apostles, because that was the claim of Peter. In the other gospels, we're told, Jesus told them, uh, tonight, you're all gonna be offended because of me. It is written, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And you're all gonna be offended and you're gonna scatter because of me. And Peter said, not me, no way. And, and Peter actually said this. He said, Lord, although everyone else might forsake you, I never will. What was he saying? Jesus, I love you more than everybody else. I love you more than these other guys. You're wrong, Lord. They might, I can see that, but I never will. So Jesus says, Simon, do you love me more than these? And the response of Peter, of course, is, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, Jesus asked Peter this same question three times. And how many times had Peter denied Jesus? Three times. So here in this, we see the Lord giving Peter this beautiful opportunity to reaffirm his love. Just as he denied him three times, he now gives him the opportunity to reaffirm his love. But there's something that's very interesting here that the English translation doesn't necessarily bring out for us, but I think it's a key to what's happening here. So Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But here's the thing. Jesus uses one Greek word for love. Peter uses a different one in response. So Jesus uses the word that many of us are familiar with the word agape. Now, when we think of agape, or when we describe agape love, I think, you know, most of us understand, okay, we're talking about the greatest love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the agape love. So Jesus says, in essence, to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than anybody else? Do you love me in a greater way than than anything else? Peter, do you have that greatest, highest, deepest love for me? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I am fond of you. Peter uses a different Greek word. He uses the word phileo. Now, some Greek scholars say, oh, there's really nothing going on here. It's just, you know, they just used interchangeable words. There, there's nothing happening, but I don't think so. I think the, uh, it, there, there is uh, a, a word play going on here. Jesus says, do you love me with that greatest of loves? And Peter, it's almost like Peter says, he says, Lord, you know. Now, remember, that was his boast, His boast was, I love you more than everybody else. And now Jesus says, do you really love me more than anybody else? And Peter says, no. I mean, that's kind of like, Lord, you know. You know that. And and all Peter can say is, he says, I phileo you. Now phileo is a good word, and it's a word that's used often of love. It's a word for brotherly love. But it's not that, it doesn't carry that intensity that agape has. So what Peter is doing is he's basically saying, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. What we see with Peter is we see a broken man. We see a humbled man. We see a man who now realizes that, no, he doesn't love Jesus more than anybody else. He actually, um, you know, he, he thought that he did, but, but his life experience has now proved that, that he did not. So he says, Lord, you know that I phileo you, which is translated sometimes, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. That's the best Peter could come up with. But that was right, because that was really the truth about Peter. Now, as we go on, and let me just pick up here, reading where Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He said, Lord, you know that I love you you know that I'm fond of you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I am fond of you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now Jesus changes the word here. So Jesus says twice, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know, I'm fond of you. I phileo you. Now the third time Jesus says to him, Simon, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? This is why Peter is grieved. Peter is grieved because Jesus has condescended down to the lower level of love for Peter's sake. And it's like Peter, you know, if you could just sort of, again, put yourself with Peter. He's like, oh, you know, to see how Jesus comes down to his level. Like he has to, he can't rise to that higher love. Jesus has got to come down, but that's what Jesus does. So, okay. Are you fond of me truly? That's okay. Jesus, Jesus condescends to that place with him. And here we see, in this whole account, we see Jesus working out this restoration in the life of Peter. Now, what we have here is, is a restoration and a recommissioning, and those are two separate things. See, the restoration is to fellowship between the man and God. Uh, the recommissioning is uh, a reappointing to service. And we we can't confuse those two things because if we do, we will find ourselves in trouble. Um, You know, sometimes people put the big emphasis on on what they're doing for God. You know, there are people that are ostensibly doing things for God, but their fellowship with God is completely um, down the tubes. They they don't even have any real fellowship with God, but they're still doing a bunch of things. And they're kind of... um, resting in that. Well, I, you know, I'm doing all this stuff for God. Everything must be okay, but that's not necessarily the case. Jesus is first and foremost interested in personal restoration. And until there's personal restoration, there really is going to be no divine recommissioning, but the Lord has both things in mind. And we see that here with Peter. And so Jesus having Brought him through the restoration process, he then recommissions feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, this is what I've called you to do. My calling has not been withdrawn, my purposes for you have not been thwarted through your failure. Let's keep moving forward. And then he says to him in that uh, last part there, verse 18. Now, remember, Peter denies him under under pressure and out of fear. But Jesus says to Peter, you know, in the future, you're gonna have that same pressure that you had before. And it's gonna be even more intense because they're gonna bind you and they're gonna take you to where you don't wanna go. Jesus is describing to Peter, you're going to die for your faith in me in the future. You denied me back then because you were afraid but the future is you're, you're going to actually give your life, but you follow me. And so Jesus gives him that word. You know, I'm, it's like he's saying, I, I'm, the past is the past, I'm, I'm, I'm letting, re- removing that. But when we come to the future, I want you to be faithful, I want you to follow me. Now, what we see in this, as I've already said, And what we've drawn out of all of these different teachings is the application for us today. And just as Peter faltered, there are many that have faltered many in the church, many of God's people. I would venture to say that there are thousands of people in this very county that we live in who today are no longer in fellowship. They're no longer serving the Lord because they've faltered, they've fallen, they've sinned, and they've thought there was no way back. They thought there was no mercy. They didn't think that the Lord would extend a gracious hand to them, and maybe they've just succumbed to the to the lie of the devil, or maybe there have been uh, other people that have sort of helped perpetuate that. Whatever the case, I am certain that there are many that would be in a similar place. And of course, we all falter to some degree, right? So we all need to know the heart of Jesus toward the faltering saint. We all need to know what the Lord, what his reaction is to us when we fail. And Here's what we need to know, or remember, first of all. We need to remember this. Jesus knows all our faltering before it ever happens. Our failings are not a surprise to him. Remember, Jesus is the one who told Peter, this is what you're gonna do. Peter was the one who said, no, I'm not. Jesus says, you are gonna deny me. So none of this takes the Lord by surprise. You know, maybe you've failed. Maybe you've fallen, maybe you've, maybe you've sinned, maybe it's been severe and maybe there you sit and you're, you know, just the thought of any like real total restoration or even a recommissioning to you is like, you know, that's never going to happen. And you just keep beating yourself over and over and Lord, I let you down and I can't believe I disappointed you. And oh God. Uh, And you know what? Do you think the Lord did not know any of that before it ever happened? Of course he did. He did, obviously. He knew that with Peter. He was the one who said, you would deny me. But I want to take it a step back further. Jesus chose Peter knowing full well that all of these things were in his future. Jesus handpicked Peter and said, come, follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You're going to be my servant. You're going to be my apostle. You're going to be the one that I'm going to send out knowing full well that Peter would stumble in the process. But it didn't stop the Lord because he knew he would stumble, but he knew that he would rise again as well. Jesus had said to Peter, Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, he said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. When you are restored, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew. And he told Peter, but he promised, I'm praying for you. And when you are restored, undoubtedly, this is the very thing that Jesus was talking about when he told Peter that. That Satan desired to sift him as wheat. And, and Peter gave in to that pressure And he did deny the Lord, but Jesus knew that through his grace and through his prayer that Peter would rise again. The heart of Jesus is always full of mercy toward his faltering ones. We have got to know that. We've got to know that for ourselves, and we've got to know that in in our dealings with other people. Because like I've already said uh, many times, well, you know, we don't know that. We, we don't think that that's the case. And not only do we fail to receive and apply God's grace in our own lives, but you know, maybe we're not a person who's faltered at this present time and somebody else has. And the thought of extending grace and mercy to them, that's not in our thinking process. We think, oh no, you know, no you know, it's time for God's judgment to come down on them. But, you you know, that's not our decision. We see here the Lord's heart. Now, again, I I wanna go back to Peter and I wanna go back to the earliest uh, moments after his failure. So he he denies the Lord these three times. He sees Jesus, they lock eyes, Jesus goes off to be crucified. And then what, what did Peter do? He went out and he wept bitterly. Now, for the next few days, I mean, just try to imagine the, the uh, anguish in the soul of Peter. I, I, you know, Peter was probably just sitting over in a corner by himself, just with his head in his hands. And, uh, you know, I don't don't think he was engaging. I mean, obviously there was all the confusion about the death of Jesus, what happened. But then Peter's got this additional thing on him. Like, I let the Lord down. I, I denied him. But, you know, Jesus begins... The restoration process with Peter very early into this situation. Because when Jesus rises from the dead and the women come to the tomb and the angels are there uh, to give them, you know, instruction, he's not here, he's risen just as he said. Then they said this, the angel said to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. Ben, think about that. So the women come back to the place where the disciples are gathered and they're saying, the Lord's risen. And this angel told us that, that the Lord's gonna go to Galilee and he wants everybody to know. And oh, by the way, he specifically said to tell Peter. You know, maybe at this point, those women didn't have any idea what had really happened. They didn't know, but Peter knows. And Jesus is already extending that that little, um, you know, peace uh, offering out to Peter. Tell Peter, Jesus is the one who initiates this restoration of Peter. He seeks him out and he restores him. And that is what the Lord does for those who have fallen. And as I've said, he restores and he recommissions. Those are the goals of Jesus for his fallen servants. Like I've already said, and I wanna emphasize again, Jesus is for us. He's for our restoration. He's for our recommissioning into something. He is for that. And he's first and foremost for the restoration. I wanna make a distinction between the two things. You see, the most important thing is that we be restored to our fellowship with him, right? That's the most important thing. Sometimes people aren't getting these two things in their proper order. I have seen a lot of pastors fail over the years. And unfortunately, too many times when a pastor has failed, their, their, you know, big ambition is to get back into the position they were in before they failed. You know, a pastor commits adultery and they lose their church and all of those kinds of things happen. And sometimes, and, and unfortunately more times than not, you see that there's a big, uh, you know, effort toward getting back. I got to get back into the ministry. I got to preach again and I got to teach God's word. And that's why, you know, and there's all of this kind of effort to do that. But, but sometimes there's not the, the effort to really get reconciled to Jesus by really repenting. But see, before, before there's the recommissioning of Peter, there's the repentance of Peter that Jesus brings out in that questioning. Do you love me? Well, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. That's Peter's repentance. He's, he's taking responsibility for his actions. And that's what we all must do. When we failed the Lord, you know, the, the best thing anybody could ever do when they failed the Lord is just simply say, Lord, I failed. Instead of, well, Lord, you don't understand. You know, there, there, somebody else actually kind of, you know, we need to put the blame over somewhere else remember two people in the Old Testament who failed God? One was named Saul, the other was named David. And you look at Saul and David, and they both failed God in pretty severe ways. And the prophet came to Saul and, and called him on his failure. And Saul says, it's not my fault. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what he said. It's not my fault, it's the people. The people were the one. I was just doing what the people said. So Saul takes no responsibility. And he has no uh, restoration in his relationship with God. David commits horrible sin, the sin of Bathsheba. The prophet comes to him and calls him on his sin. And David says, I've sinned. I've sinned. It's me. I, I am guilty before God. You see, that's the big difference. That's what changes everything. When we fail, the first step of course, Jesus extends, like I said, that olive branch to us right away. But our response has to be taking responsibility. Yes, Lord, I, I, I have failed. Peter, do you agape me? No, Lord, I don't. I, I phileo you. See, he's, he's taking the responsibility. He's acknowledging the sin. But that's what brings about the restoration. See, that's what happens. And that's where everything begins again. When the restoration takes place, then the recommissioning can also occur. And this is up to God. You know, I have heard people say, and I've thought through this a lot myself, you know, um, you know, again, just using a, a, an illustration that we're unfortunately too familiar with, but a pastor who, uh, you know, falls to adultery or or something like that. Uh, The question is, can they ever be restored to that position again? And, you know, I don't think there's one pat answer for that. I think what you have to do is you have to look at, first of all, is there genuine repentance? And then secondly, what is what is God saying in this? Because it would be easy. And I know that I have thought this thing myself it would be easy just to say no you know they've done this and therefore there's there's no that that that's that's it they're they're done with that and and that might be true but it might not be true because it comes down to what you know god is going to do something that is his thing uh, even if it doesn't make sense to us necessarily at times somebody some years ago gave me a book, and the book is written on the subject of, uh, you know, pastors who fall into sin and particularly adultery. And the, the question the book addresses is, you know, can a pastor be restored? And the conclusion of the book is no. The book is called The Stain That Remains. And, you know, they, they conclude, and understandably to some degree, that you know, this is just one of those things that sort of disqualifies you from this ministry in the future, and you know, as much as I, in some ways I would understand that, and you know, have a tendency to agree with it, in other ways I would say, if if I'm going to be scriptural about it, I'd have to say, no, we can't, we can't draw that conclusion. That's something that God himself reserves for himself. And let me ask you this. Do you think that Peter had any hope that he'd be able to continue in his calling as an apostle? I don't think he did because Peter denied Jesus and Jesus said, and Peter had heard him say numerous times, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. Oh man. I don't think there was any hope in Peter's mind at all. Now, I I think he hoped in God's mercy that he would be forgiven and be able to be, you know, in favor with God again. But but I don't think for a minute Peter thought, you know, we're going to get through this and, you know, I'm going to go back to my apostleship. I don't think he thought that. I think Peter thought, man, I denied Jesus. I swore with an oath that I didn't even know him. I'm done. I think Peter probably thought that. And even if he didn't think that, entirely, I'm sure of this, Satan would be right there whispering in his ear to try to snuff out any hope whatsoever. But you see, Jesus did not only restore Peter to fellowship, he recommissioned him to service. And this is the thing, God, it's his prerogative to do that if he chooses to do it. But of course, when God does it, the repentance will precede the recommissioning. God doesn't take people who are still in their sin, and if you're denying your sin, then you're actually still in it. He doesn't take those people and put them back in a place. Now, sometimes people get themselves back into that place, but it's only it just goes from bad to worse at that point. But when there's a genuine repentance, like we see with Peter, then there is, as we also see with Peter, a full restoration. We see that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so... Here's the question. Have you failed the Lord? Have you faltered in some way? Have you denied him? Maybe in word, maybe in deed. Now, of course, every single one of us, if we're honest, we would have to say to the question, have you failed the Lord? Yes, <laughs> I have failed the Lord. But you know, there, there are levels of severity, right? So, you know, we would all have to admit that yes, to some degree, we failed the Lord. But then others would have to say, no, I really failed the Lord. No, I, I sinned. I, I did this knowing full well what I was doing. And, you know, like Peter, no, I denied Jesus. And as a result of that, Perhaps you've thought that there's no hope for future blessing or fruitfulness. Uh, Like Peter, perhaps you find it just impossible to believe that God could ever really use you again. But I want you to think again about that because this is the way of Jesus with those who falter. And the message of God's grace is that there is an unlimited supply of grace for those who, who receive it through repentance. For those who take responsibility and just say, Lord, I, I have sinned, or Lord, I, I'm fond of you. No, I, don't, I, don't, I wish I could say that I love you with that intense love, but Lord, I can't. But for that person, for that broken person, for that heart that acknowledges, then there's just an endless supply of God's grace that comes to do for us what we might not even imagine being possible. That we would be brought back into that beautiful fellowship and that we would even be allowed to go out and serve the Lord again. And I can tell you today that I know people in that category. People that on the one hand, you would look at a certain point in their lives and say, man, they are done. That is it, it's over. There's no way they're gonna go forward again after this. But then to see the work of God's grace in their life and the true repentance that comes and to see God actually moving them once again, recommissioning them, calling them to go and to be fruitful for him. And so I want to close with just this reminder that this is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is always to work toward our restoration and our recommissioning. And the recommissioning might be, it might be different than it was previously, but there's still that opportunity to go forward in service to Christ in some way as he would lead. But we need to know that. We need to know that for ourselves, but we also need to know it for other people because we're gonna run into all kinds of people as we go through life who have failed. And because they didn't understand God's grace or it wasn't extended toward them or whatever reason, they, that failure has, has driven them away and it's, it's driven them to the conclusion that there is no longer any hope, but that isn't true. And we can tell them it isn't true. And we can point them to John chapter 21 and say, hey, look at this. Look what Jesus did for the man who denied that he even knew him. He forgave him and restored him. And Peter went on, as we all know, to great things in his future the first one to really publicly proclaim the gospel on the day of pentecost and 3000 souls were added to the church that day and becomes a pillar in the that early church he writes uh, two of the epistles and of course we all know everybody almost knows anybody who knows the name of Jesus also knows the name of the apostle peter and we know that he was a man who failed But we also know that he was a man who was a recipient of God's grace and was restored. And the story of Peter is a story of anyone who has failed but will repent. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that that is the the truth of the matter. We thank you for this beautiful story of, of your restoring Peter to that place that you called him to, despite the fact that he did deny you those three times. And we thank you, Lord, that this story is, is laid out for us in scripture because it gives us all hope. Lord, it reminds us of how great your love is and how uh, thorough your forgiveness is and how bountiful your grace is. And Lord, I pray for anyone today who just needs this very word spoken to them, Lord, that they would receive it today as your word to them. And Lord, that you would bring about that restoration and recommissioning in their lives. And Lord, for any of us, whenever we fail, help us to remember to run to you, not to run from you. Because as we run to you, we run to grace. We thank you, Lord, that your arms are open and ready to receive. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.